It's an exciting Sunday morning, isn't it? To be able to come together as we are today, thankful that God has blessed us with health, thankful He's blessed us with this privilege, it's ours, to offer worship unto the great Yahweh today. Certainly it would be right for me to say again how much my family and I appreciate your well wishes for us in the meeting last week and the other ways that you supported us so, so very incredibly, and we certainly do very much appreciate that. Certainly any father who is in a position similar to me is thankful to be able to be with his family today, and I'm certainly thankful that my family's here, and many of you have already expressed that you look forward to being with your family perhaps later today or perhaps yesterday. In, any, in every way, of course, in some ways, that's going to relate to our lesson today. I've entitled it, Joseph, a Father to Consider. Now, this lesson isn't only for fathers, although we as fathers will be motivated and given incentive by it. All of us can be encouraged by this interesting Bible character. Would you please be turning to Matthew chapter 1, and we'll use some of the features, some of the verses of that chapter, to encourage our hearts today in service to God. This next slide will be one where that introductory idea is stated as follows. You know today, and Brother Lester already mentioned it, Father's Day, and maybe you earlier have made plans to wish your father well or to express appreciation to him. You might find it interesting that the actual holiday is really not that old. There has appeared to be some interest in it, in the early 1900s, but really nothing ever materialized and nothing solidified until the 1960s. It really wasn't made a federal holiday, or at least a calendar holiday until then. So at that point, you might take note, it occurs every year by decree of that same consideration, the third Sunday in June. That's today. As always, we do wish each father a happy Father's Day, but let's use Joseph to motivate us to be better fathers and to encourage all of our hearts in the way God would have us to do it. You may notice near the bottom of that slide, as we look at Joseph, we're going to read a certain part in Matthew chapter 1 in just a moment. But the first thing that might be in order is, let's give some thought to the word Father. If I were to ask you how many times that word occurs in the Bible, you might be surprised. The word Father, or some form of it, occurs over 1,700 times in the Bible. Now that alone would suggest the concept of fatherhood is very important to the development and the revelation of the Word of God. If that word is used that often, it seemingly is a critical element of what God would embed within the nature of the human family. Surely in that light, look at the first occurrence as well as the last one. The very first time the word occurs is in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And the very last time is not to Revelation 14. Where there, you remember it refers to the fatherhood of God in that case. It perhaps goes without saying that given that number of occurrences, let's develop some quick points about it. The next one. Isn't it amazing then that the mention of the word is so often used? as a way to remind us of the fatherhood of God. In fact, a large number of that 1,700 references or so seemingly relates to that idea. Look at this sampling. In Matthew 16, verse number 17, while they're preaching in such a dramatic way, he, you may remember, asked, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, 
Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus then say? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And therefore he referred to his Father in heaven, namely the God the Father. But look at yet another one. Perhaps the text in Ephesians 1 verse 3, the other one we shall note in passing. There aren't we reminded, the God of all blessings, it is that Father, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who daily blesses us with all spiritual blessings in high places. But may I say that not every word Father refers to God. Some of them refer to human fathers. Look at some of these references. We've already mentioned the Genesis 2 passage. What about another one? Isn't it amazing that in Lamentations 5, 7, Our fathers have sinned. Our fathers have sinned. Again, referring to those that were their actual fathers and grandfathers. Those individuals in light of Israel had made poor choices, choosing to disobey God. I suppose then it's easy to see that that word father, as it's used in those two ways, leads to some of the following ideas on that slide. Perhaps two last things. You may again appreciate that the genealogies in the Bible testify that some man begot some other who begot some other, and so we know about the fathers. And as the God of heaven revealed those to us, those genealogies highlight Notice they weren't recorded by way of the mothers. It was by way of the fathers. God would have much to say to the role of a father, his place in the family, and the leadership that God expects him to provide. Let's close that slide then before we consider Joseph in a little bit more detail. When you and I think about Joseph, and by that I mean the New Testament Joseph, the one who was the husband of Mary... And Mary, of course, was the mother of Jesus. What do you know about the fatherhood of Joseph? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. When it comes to his role as a father, I've asked you to note with me that we know he was not literally the biological father of Jesus. God's the father of Jesus. God the Father, I should say, is the father of Jesus. But we do know this, that this man Joseph was handpicked, if you please, by the God of heaven to serve as the father figure for Jesus the Christ. And as he served in that capacity, we're going to learn today there were many rather commendable attributes he had. To every father in the audience, I'll ask, are we exemplifying these things? Are we encouraging others like Joseph did? No wonder that lie. Let's look at our first quality of Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, let me start reading in verse 18. Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now we'll stop right there and we'll read some more in just a moment. But aren't you a bit impressed already about at least this qualification, this quality 
I've simply entitled it, We Find in Joseph a Man Who It Seems Was Supremely Concerned with What Was Right. Let's develop it like this. The text says he was betrothed to Mary. Now, the way marriages were done back at that time were slightly different than today, but a man and a woman were espoused or betrothed to one another, and the marriage, of course, hadn't become final in a way, but this espousal period they were still considered with one another in the sense that it was a, a binding arrangement. Well, at this point, they were engaged or betrothed, but Joseph discovers or learns of something that, needless to say, to any such man would be troubling. She's pregnant. Now, Joseph knew it wasn't him, but Mary was pregnant in some way. What was Joseph to do? The verse, verse 18, again says, She was found with child, and the text informs us, of course, it was of the Holy Ghost. But Joseph was a just man, the text tells us, verse 19. That word just, as you can tell on the slide, it means righteous. It means to be concerned with divine laws. That was what was of critical suggestion to Joseph. He was concerned with what was right. Now this woman, Mary, that he was with, she was pregnant in some other way than him. He made this determination, this decision, verse number 19. He was not going to make a public example of her. He was not going to slander her or drag her name through the public spectacle and cause her reputation to be slandered worse than what it naturally ought to be. He was concerned with what was right. He was going to simply put her away privately. He was not going to proceed with this matter of marrying her, but he was going to leave it in a private matter. That's what Joseph had determined to do. Needless to say on that slide, that of course challenges every one of us, doesn't it, fathers? To be concerned ever with what is right. Doesn't it go without saying that the forces that are impressed upon us are often forces that do not have prime concern for what's right? Quite often the concern is, is it most advantageous to me for my pocketbook, for the locale? Is it the most thing concerning convenience? That wasn't what was most important to Joseph. He was more concerned with what was right. All of us, of course, are admonished in exactly the same way. Is being right with God the single most important thing to me? If it is, that's going to have an impact on every other decision I make. One last thing might be these verses. In Proverbs 4, verse 11, what kind of way is spoken of in the Word of God? Don't you find it interesting that as wisdom is personified, it is described as leading individuals in the right way. There's a way that's right, and there's a way that's wrong. And wisdom, the things of God, will invariably lead us in the way that's right. That sentiment's echoed later in Proverbs again. But this opening lesson about concerned with what's right, what else might we say about Joseph? Let's go to the next slide, and then we'll continue our reading. Beginning in verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Lesson number two. May each of us at least be admired of Joseph when we observe he was obedient to God. Picture the scene. The circumstance in which he now was was going to determine by and large the remaining course of his life. He's betrothed to a woman who's pregnant by some way other than him. And yet, in a dream, an angel gives him a message. Verses 20 and following tell us about that message. The message was, Don't you be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what's conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. How believable do you consider that message? No, you and I today, you fall asleep and have a dream, and in the dream you're given a message from an angel, don't you be afraid to marry her because what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Does that sound very believable? Does it sound as if you would then awake and say, I know exactly now what to do? Wouldn't it be very easy to think, well, I just had a crazy dream. Maybe I ate something for supper that led to a crazy dream like this. Or furthermore, maybe it's a hallucination. That isn't how Joseph reacted. May I invite you to notice verse 24? Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He simply did exactly what was conveyed in the course of that dream. And not only that, did you notice what name did he give the baby? The very name that the angel had indicated, Jesus. Might you and I be impressed that Joseph, although in this very interesting situation, he was obedient unto God fully, completely and entirely. Let's develop it perhaps like this. This life-altering decision was one of full obedience. Gentlemen, fathers, what about you and, my, you and I? Is the principal thought about your life and mine, the one that stands out in regard to what others first think of us, he's obedient to God. And obviously your family will be the first ones who will have a sense as to whether or not that's true or not. Obedient to God. You and I realize throughout the fullness of the Word of God, we are rather directly admonished in such dramatic ways to always obey God. Even when it looks inconvenient, even when it demands sacrifice on our behalf, even when the world would say, you're crazy for doing that, nonetheless, we will always be committed to doing it. Look at some of these verses with me. In Revelation 22 verse 14, on virtually the last page in the Bible, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Who are the ones that shall enjoy the blessed entrance into heaven? They that do His commandments. That is to say, those who obey. Doesn't that remind us of that promise in Hebrews 5? Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. Fathers, 
you and I must be the ones who are the prime examples of obedience. That is to say, the ones who encourage it not only in our lives, but we set before our family the critical importance of obeying God. The statement you'll notice near the bottom of that slide is this, that will be a profound influence on your children. When your children grow up and they see Dad, who himself is submissive to this book, that is to say, Dad doesn't flaunt his authority above it, but rather he lives in compliance to it, that will leave an indelible imprint upon their appreciation of authority and the placement of the commands of God. Needless to say, Joseph, these first two are impressive qualities, aren't they? What about the third one? What else might we say about Joseph? This one, I simply wrote it as committed, but committed in, in this particular way to the well-being of his family. You remember well the setting of the scene in this chapter and the one that follows. We might well begin it as follows. Turn over one chapter to Matthew chapter 2 and notice again what Joseph here did. Verse 14, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. You and I remember Herod wanted to kill the little baby Jesus. And so God brought information to Joseph, You take the baby and his mother and you go live in Egypt. I suppose you and I ought to think with some care about what that demanded of Joseph. Think about the inconvenience that may have been. Joseph was a carpenter. He had to leave his business behind for apparently some period of time to go and live in Egypt. And the Bible offers no hesitancy on his part to doing it. Why not? First, he was obedient to God, but notice he wanted to make sure that his family was okay. Herod was out to get the baby, and he didn't want the baby killed, of course. He didn't want Mary harmed, and he didn't want to suffer in that way either. What about finances? It takes a little bit of money to go and live in a distant place for a while. As far as we know, Joseph didn't have any relatives in Egypt. As far as we know, there were no immediate connections there. How was he going to sustain himself? The Bible doesn't say. But surely that had to cross Joseph's mind before he left. However he took care of it, he took care of his family. You and I know today that's still a critical expectation of God on our parts, fathers, that we make sure that there's adequate provision. The physical needs of the family are met. As we ensure that that takes place, look with me at some of these verses. Later on in verse number 22... Joseph did something like this again later. Aren't you again a bit impressed as to how he did it? Verse 22 of chapter 2. It says, But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, that he is Joseph, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. Now remember, Joseph here made choice to live in this area where you and I would recognize as Nazareth. There's where he was going to rear his son. There's where he was going to rear, of course, the family. Joseph made some interesting choices, and although God had given direction in these ways, 
Joseph, it seems, was certainly excited to make sure his family was okay. The Bible, on a number of occasions, mentions thoughts along that line for us. Could I encourage you to reflect with me on 1 Timothy 5, verse 8? There, as Timothy was, or rather, was receiving instruction from Paul, he spoke, or at least was given instruction along this line, If any provide not for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So if you and I choose to not provide for our family, we in fact allow them to go bereft of those physical things that are necessary. We've denied the faith, the text says. And we have labeled ourselves worse than an infidel. Now surely we appreciate then that there's an importance and God wishes the physical needs to be adequately met. Joseph, it seems, had that interest and you and I today still would wish to have that interest. The last verse on that slide takes us back to another set of settings. The first one of which is Matthew chapter 7. Don't you find it interesting how Jesus used this idea to teach and to teach you and me in ways that are certainly very easy to understand? If a son asks a fish of his father, will the father give him a stone? What father in love and in compassion if his child asks a fish needing something to eat, well, turn around and give him a rock instead. Well, no father's going to do that, simply because of the consideration that father has for the well-being of the child. In fact, the father will gladly go hungry so the child has something to eat. Any father would feel that way. That text is used to remind us about God. If we ask something of God as His faithful child, isn't He quick and happy to hear what we ask and to lend His blessing as long as it's according to His will to what we ask? That's what the Lord was teaching. Surely when you and I think then about Joseph, we do know that though he wasn't the actual father of Jesus, he was the father of a number of other children with Mary. Matthew 13.55 lists their names. You and I can thus appreciate that Joseph so far has much to teach us. Let's look at a fourth lesson. Not only these three, but you also might imagine an event later in the life of Joseph. I might at least pause to say this. Perhaps as you and I have read the New Testament and reflected on various passages, we oftentimes take note that Joseph isn't listed well, many have wondered, maybe Joseph passed away. After all, when the time comes for the crucifixion, much is said about Mary, but Joseph isn't listed. And because of the fact that, remember on the cross, Jesus said, Son, behold thy mother, giving the care of Mary to John, that seems to suggest Joseph had already passed away. We don't know how old he was, if that be the case. But certainly He's left us this quality. While we have the record of Him, He appears to have been a man, a father, who was supremely serious about spiritual things. Look at this example. I've asked you to notice Luke chapter 2. There, of course, early in that chapter is the record of the birth of Jesus given in more detail. But beginning in verse 41 of that chapter... 
the following statements are made. It, of course, is such that Jesus by now was 12 years of age. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Now, 12 years have passed from the time, of course, that Jesus was born until the event of this chapter, and we still have the same impression of Joseph as we had at the beginning. He was obedient to God then. He was concerned about what was right, and now we may at least identify it like this, serious about spiritual things. Joseph, of course, was a Jewish male. He was a Jewish man. And you'll notice it says in verse number 41, his parents went up to Jerusalem. How often? The text says every year. I wonder how far was it from where they were living to where you went to keep this Passover? Now, the Passover was celebrated at Jerusalem, and as we've already learned, they were living in Nazareth. Well, you can already tell. It was a journey of about 85 miles one way. And they didn't have cars. They walked. By and large, that's the way you got there. So at this point, would you like to think about walking from here to Nashville? That's about what it would be. To walk to Nashville to celebrate the Passover. And all the while, of course, your wife went, and here a 12-year-old son went with you. And not only that, of course, you can realize how long that kind of journey would take to walk that far. Certainly, that's several days walking each way. You would need to make sure you had enough food. You need to make sure you had the other items necessary to live for that length of time. This was going to take a couple of weeks. Joseph went, and the family went with him. Now, under that kind of leadership of the family, may we again be impressed. Joseph didn't make excuses. That's too far. That's far too inconvenient. I've got carpentry work to do. The text just simply says they went every year. May we be impressed that Joseph, we find in his appreciation a man, a father, who was in fact very serious about spiritually minded things. And so on that slide, consider this with me. Let's now reflect to a statement we'd made earlier. God selected not only the woman Mary. He selected this man Joseph, who would be that father figure to Jesus. A man obedient to God, a man that was serious about spiritually minded things. Look at these verses with me. We aren't alarmed that that's important to God. In Psalm 15, the following description is found. You and I might ask it this way, who does God find pleasing? Now clearly that ought to be a critical question for all of us, but fathers, mothers, and everybody, listen to this description. Psalm chapter 15, I'll start reading in verse 1. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. 
He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Does that reasonably describe you and me? Does those set of qualities reasonably describe what we aspire to? It seems Joseph did, and it certainly seems rather impressive that he did so. Turn over to Psalm 24, just a few chapters forward. Here we'll only read a couple of the verses, but Psalm 24, verse, beginning in verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? Now another way to ask that is, who does God shine His light of approval upon? Verse 4. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It does seem that Joseph aspired to these things, and he did so, and he was that father figure to Jesus. Perhaps one final thing might be this. We've tried to make application of every one of these points in a general way to us today, and certainly this one fits in easily as well. Serious about spiritual things. I know I speak before a group for which spiritual things are so serious you've chosen to invest your Sunday morning to gather in the way that we have. But may that aspect never leave our heart. May we always feel this way, and not only on the mornings of Sundays, but every moment of every day, to make sure spiritual things are the most important. Let's close this slide with Mark 8, verses 36 and 37. Here we have the Lord making that memorable statement, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? When we make application of that to ourselves, we realize that as fathers, mothers, others, we understand very well that spiritual things surely must be the most serious to us. Let's close our lesson after these four things like this. We know that the Word of God would have us honor our fathers, our physical fathers. We're told that both in Old and New Testament. And surely Ephesians 6.2 says, Honor thy father and thy mother. For this is the first commandment with promise. And today we've sought to make some spiritual applications using Joseph as a father to consider. And I've listed those lessons that we have learned. Concerned about what's right. Serious about spiritual things. Critically interested in the well-being of his family. And finally, obedient to God. Today, I hope that each of us are able to analyze ourselves and strive to emulate, at least in those ways, Joseph. As we offer this invitation, as always, it's the Lord's invitation. If there's anyone in the audience, and you realize that you are distanced from God because of your sin, why don't you rush to His side today? Jesus died on the cross, that His blood might cleanse you, but He leaves that decision to you. He leaves it to each of us. If you and I would wish then to make things right, and you've never become a Christian, you've got to believe in Jesus with all your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. But if you have known the way of Christianity, but you've chosen to walk away from it, certainly 1 Peter 4.17 says judgment's going to be very harsh for you, for you've left behind the thing that was most important. 
If today we could assist in praying to God in light of your repentance and your confession, we'd be happy to do it. And what a day for celebration it would be. If we could be of help in either of those ways today, we urge you to come now while together we stand and while we sing.